Please listen carefully. Psych Essentials is a show about learning psychiatry. It's fun and educational, but should not be taken as medical advice or opinion. So kick back and try not to worry about those glaring ego deficits. We like you anyway. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, James. Welcome back to another episode of Psych Essentials. We're in the art series. So what's it this week? We're talking about schizophrenia. And as we have for the past two episodes, we're talking about what it's like to have mental illness. Mm, So what's it like to have schizophrenia? That should be kind of a cool topic to explore. I think so. Let's kick it off with some music. Wouldn't it be nice if we were older? Then we wouldn't have to wait so long. And wouldn't it be nice to live together in the kind of world where we belong? You know it's gonna make it that much better when we can say goodnight and stay together. Beach Boys? That was a great rendition of the Beach Boys, and it's worth checking out that album, that recording specifically. We'll have a link on our website because it's not their traditional one. That's Brian Wilson, who's the lead singer. Although he's he he's a difficult interviewer, but he's recorded a few interviews where he talks about having mental illness, about his history of drug use, and specifically about experiencing auditory hallucinations in his life. I did not know that he experienced auditory hallucinations. It was interesting to me as well. In this particular song, he talks about, wouldn't it be nice if we could wake up in the morning when the day is new? And he, and then the next couple that he talks about, after having spent the day together and holding each other close. And this is really interesting idea for me of where this would traditionally be this kind of like romantic ballad. Yeah, I thought it was kind of like a cutesy, like teenage love song. It could well be that. But I think with this in mind, it adds an interesting twist about what it's like to have schizophrenia and what it's like to feel alone or in the presence of somebody else. Hashtag plot twist. Follow Psychosangels on Twitter. (laughs) Yes. Today we're talking about schizophrenia. Now, schizophrenia is a thought disorder. So it's a disorder of how your mind thinks and how it works. And it includes psychosis. Hmm, Which we've talked about before, right? Mm -hmm. Psychosis includes hallucinations. So that could be an auditory or visual hallucination, something that you're experiencing that other people aren't, and delusions. Lindsay, will you remind us what a delusion is? Yeah, so a delusion is a fixed false belief that goes against whatever the cultural norms are, essentially. Okay, so it's fixed, meaning... It doesn't change over time. And despite whatever evidence might be to the contrary. Mm -hmm. And it's false because it doesn't fit with the other sort of objective reality. Exactly. And a lot of these things are sort of culturally dependent. So whereas an example could be in some cultures, the idea of believing in ghosts could be really prevalent. And so having that belief could be really normative or, or, you know, in line with everyone else. Mm -hmm. In other places, that would be a more delusional belief. Exactly. The symptoms of schizophrenia can vary, but are often divided into positive symptoms and negative symptoms. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. 
But in general, schizophrenia as an illness often waxes and wanes, but is usually a chronic illness. I mean, it exists over time and is really can be very debilitating. When you say the illness waxes and wanes, is that like certain symptoms kind of come and go? Exactly. And I, I tend to think of people decompensating, like their, their illness will inherently sort of become more prominent mm-hmm. in their life. I see. You may have seen a person on the street. Maybe they were unkempt or ill-fed. Maybe they're standing outside of an office building, kind of muttering to themselves or, or shouting to themselves. It's very possible that that person had some form of schizophrenia. But schizophrenia presents across a wide array of socioeconomic statuses. And there are people with this illness who are full-time professionals. And this kind of description of this illness comes from Ellen Sachs. And I also want to talk about her a little later as well. In general, I kind of conceptualize schizophrenia as an aberration of, of normal processing in our brain almost like your brain is kind of glitching a little bit Hmm. so like how so where if your brain is exaggerating stimuli that you're receiving that can lead to some of these positive symptoms like responding to sound that other people aren't yeah and conversely negative symptoms can represent tamp down or absent processing of some of the stimuli around you Mm, okay I like that way of thinking about it. Yeah. So, Lindsay, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what are some of these positive symptoms of schizophrenia. We've talked a lot about this, but some of the positive symptoms would include hallucinations, auditory hallucinations being more common in schizophrenia than visual hallucinations, but both are possible, as well as delusions, those fixed false beliefs. You'll also see disorganized speech where someone might be making up words. They might be very tangential, not able to stay on topic. And you can also see really just disorganized behavior. An example of disorganized behavior could be if you saw somebody in the emergency room and they were banging on the walls or shouting in an environment where that wasn't appropriate. Purposeless behaviors, part of disorganized behavior. And how might those differ from negative symptoms of schizophrenia? Negative symptoms kind of, like you said, James, really gets at like an absence of these normal processes that we experience as humans. So whereas you and I might have a lot of affect when we speak with each other, patients with negative symptoms can have very flat affect and just a very limited range of expressiveness when they're speaking with someone else. They just might have very little drive to do things during the day and just kind of feel apathetic about things in their life. Then you can also see reduced speech production in comparison to someone without schizophrenia. So you might see poverty of speech is how we might describe that in a mental status exam. And then kind of going along with this like avalish and apathy is also some cognitive changes that you can see in schizophrenia where they might have more problems with attention, memory, and executive functioning. Collectively, does that lead to problems in this person's life? Yeah. So in order for the disease to be diagnosed, there has to be some sort of functional impairment, either kind of in social domain or occupational domain or school or like whatever stage of life that person is. Typically, it's a young, it tends to be a younger person. Schizophrenia is this illness that most classically presents in late teen years, early 20 years, but spans a range from younger than that to older than that as well. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. So James, how do we treat schizophrenia? The mainstay of treatment for schizophrenia are antipsychotic medications. Mm, we have discussed those. We talked about those a bunch, and I'll refer you back to the episode where we primarily discussed those back in our antipsychotic series. Mm-hmm. That's episode 11 and 12. Excellent. There's some evidence behind cognitive behavioral therapy for certain types of these beliefs that are come with psychosis. Mm, cognitive behavioral therapy. You have to stay tuned for our series about therapy. You will learn about that. Now, part of schizophrenia is is this sort of psychosis where you have hallucinations and delusions. And part of a delusion is that this belief is fixed despite be- evidence to the contrary and despite the fact that people tell you that you're wrong. And so... As a consequence, people often have pretty poor insight into their illness, so they don't realize that they have this illness in the first place. Hmm. That makes it tricky then. Like, how do you get people to take medications if they don't think they're sick, right? Exactly. Like, if somebody told you that you had diabetes and you were pretty sure that you didn't, you wouldn't take medications for it. You're like, I wouldn't take the insulin for that. I don't have diabetes. Exactly. And that's often the challenge that you face. People will take their medication, they'll feel better, and then they'll stop taking their medication because they feel better. So you'll kind of have this pattern of decompensation, stabilization, decompensation, stabilization. That can look like a very chronic picture for schizophrenia. Mm We were talking about what it's like to have schizophrenia, and I I want to return back to the arts a little bit, and I want to talk about this woman, Ellen Sachs, or I should say Dr. Sachs, because she's a professor of law, psychology, psychiatry, and the behavioral sciences at the University of Southern California in the Gould Law School. Professor Sachs is an expert in mental health law, and she's a MacArthur Foundation Fellowship winner. She's a very smart person. Yeah. And she has written extensively about herself having schizophrenia. Her book is called The Center Cannot Hold. She also has a TED Talk about having mental illness. And I recommend both of them highly, the TED Talk in particular, if you just have a few minutes. We'll put the link on our website. Which is www.psychessentials.org. Absolutely. I want to quote a little bit from her, but I'm going to set this up by saying in her book, she talks about some of her earliest experiences with noticing that her brain is processing information differently than other people's brain is. And she writes really eloquently. And so I think it's an interesting insight into what somebody's brain could look like or feel like. Mm, Yeah, let's let's get to it. Professor Sachs writes, it's 10 o'clock on a Friday night. I'm sitting with my two classmates in the Yale Law School library. They aren't too happy about being here. It's the weekend, after all. There are plenty of other fun things they could be doing, but I am determined that we hold our small group meeting. We have a memo assignment. We have to do it. We have to finish it. Have to produce it. Have to... Wait a minute. No, wait. Memos are visitation, I announce. They make certain points. The point's on your head. Have you ever killed anyone? My study partners look at me as if I or they have been splashed with ice water. This is a joke, right? Asks one. What are you talking about, Ellen? Asks the other. Oh, the usual. Heaven and hell. Who's what? What's who? Hey, I say, leaping out of my chair. Let's go up to the roof. I practically sprint to the nearest large window, climb through it, and step out onto the roof, followed a few moments later by my reluctant partners in crime. This is the real me, I announce, waving my arms above my head. Come to the Florida lemon tree. Come to the Florida sunshine bush, where they make lemons, where there are demons. Hey, what's the matter with you guys? Oh, man. You'll have to listen to her TED Talk to see how the story concludes. 
Yeah, it just really strikes me. And I mean, it sounds like in this particular passage, she's really impaired and disorganized and confused about what's going on in the world. And she ends by saying, what's the matter with you guys? Where yeah. you as the listener were probably thinking like, like no, what's, what's the, the matter, matter with, with you? <laughs> but she feels absolutely like in the right here. It's this it's this sort of delusion. It's this false belief that she's holding. And the way that she's processing information just seems so skewed. She's interpreting the same signals, but in totally different ways. Yeah. I mean, it's really remarkable that she has been able to be so successful and productive as a person with schizophrenia. We see a lot of severe cases on the inpatient unit, but it's nice to know that someone can go from this place that she's describing that is like totally confusing and not reality-based to a place where she's a professor. Absolutely. So let's talk about some ways to interact when you do meet somebody who has schizophrenia and some ways to facilitate the interaction so it can be more positive for you and them. I think about being kind and being considerate because mm. people are rule not... Rule number one of psychiatry. Rule number one holds, as we have previously talked yes. about, be nice. This person is not feeling well. They're not having their best day. In that sense, provide empathy. If somebody says, I'm not sleeping well, you say, hey, that has to be really hard because it would be really hard not to sleep. I agree. Talk in a calm voice, especially if somebody is is agitated. Recognize that this person could be feeling scared or paranoia is a really common belief. Mm-hmm. And so give somebody some space, give them some physical, like physically, give somebody some distance. Don't like encroach super much, super close to them. Don't be, you know, super like overly familiar, like overly chatty. Like, hey, buddy, how's it going? Exactly, like, exactly. They might like, be like, what do you mean, buddy? Like, what are you talking right, about? We ju- Who yeah. are you? Why do you know me? Exactly. Be cautious, you know, with like with taking excessive amounts of notes or just the, the sort of way that your body language is communicating, the way that you're facing them, the way that you've sort of arranged yourself in the room. Yeah, I've made some of these mistakes as an intern. Like when I was writing notes once, a patient got very distracted by this, even though we, we were in a team kind of rounding together and was like, what is she doing? She's She must be writing, like spying on me. You need to get out. And the interview was terminated after that because he refused. Didn't somebody try and eat your notes once? Indeed. That was a separate occasion, yes, where someone was very paranoid and I did not realize the extent um, of the paranoia and I was writing notes and he thought, I was doing sketchy stuff that involved demons and the FBI. And so he grabbed the paper from my hand and tried to eat it. So that was a to-do. That sounds like a to-don't. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, be straightforward. Ask short questions, simple questions. Again, remember, this person's mind has the potential to be really scattered and disorganized. Notice if the person seems to be what we would call responding to internal stimuli so by that i mean their mind is paying attention to something that only their mind is seeing that can look like their eyes are glancing around or they're talking to something or some entity that you're not seeing some sort of non-visible object in the room and it's okay to ask somebody about that like hey what did you just notice right then I will often kind of gently comment on some of those observations like, hey, I I noticed that you're smiling right now. Like, are you hearing any other voices talking to you or something like that? Absolutely. This may not always be the case, but to be cognizant of your safety. If somebody 
somebody may be interpreting the same signals that you are in a different way. And sometimes that can lead to this type of disorganized behaviors you're talking about. Jumping, getting out of bed really quickly, swinging. It doesn't necessarily mean that you may or may not be the cause, but it is important to stay safe. And so it's okay to disengage from the conversation if you feel uncertain or you feel unsafe or you're not sure where things are going. Yeah, totally. I think listening to that, like, I don't know, deep primal fear is usually a good thing. I mean, it doesn't mean you're a bad person that you feel this way. It, it, It usually means maybe there's something going on in the room that you need to be a little bit cautious about. And it's okay to to be aware of that. And it's okay to gently step out and say, I'm going to leave right now and then it'll come back later. Yeah. And I know we talked a little bit about countertransference in the Art of Depression episode, but countertransference can also be helpful for patients with schizophrenia. Because, for example, when you find that you're super confused about what a patient is talking about, or you're really uncertain about what the heck is going on with the patient, that it's probably not that you're really confused or uncertain or that you can't follow things. It's probably more a reflection of their underlying thought disorder and their psychosis. Great point. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. If the story that somebody's telling you feels really like it's jumping around or it's not making sense or you can't even figure out why it doesn't make sense but the, it, you're just being hit with this like well, what is going on it it may be their thought disorganization that you're picking up on exactly so james what are some good questions to ask someone with schizophrenia one question that i will often start with is are you hearing sounds other than your voice and mine and can you describe them People will often describe voices, but they could be other sounds. A man told me recently he heard the sound and it sounded like rushing water, like a waterfall type sound or a sound that sounded kind of like whispers, but not quite voices per se. You might ask somebody if they're hearing one voice or several voices, whether it's new or it's unusual for them. The sort of tone of the voice or, or, or what it's saying. People often describe voices that are telling them to do something or commanding them to do something and I'll ask somebody like, how able are you to sort of resist when that voice is telling you to grab a knife? Yeah. And also, like, do you know the voice? Some uh, patients tend to be less able to resist voices if it's a voice that's familiar to them, like a relative's voice. Mm-hmm. I'll explore the delusions that somebody's having. Commonly, they fall into a few types of categories, which, again, we've talked about in our psychiatric interview series But common ones include grandiosity, so thinking you're really great, paranoia, thinking that people are after you, nihilistic, which are kind of like end times, negative, erotomanic, so... Thinking like you're in love with someone or like Mm -hmm. a celebrity is in love with you or whatever. Mm -hmm. Ideas of reference, which refer to outside influences like radio, TV, images that there have special meaning for Kind of like you. attributing those external things are to having some relevance to you. And your role in this is to investigate the extent to which somebody is experiencing these delusions, not to really to fact check. So if somebody says, the police are chasing me, you might say, huh, well, how long have you been noticing that? Like, who specifically is chasing you? Has this led to any thoughts of you wanting to hurt them as opposed to like really truly are the police following? It sounds like what you're getting at, James, is you're trying to get a sense of safety and kind of function. Like how is this impacting their function and are they safe and are the people around them safe? hundred percent. I'll also ask people in line with that how long this has lasted. 
And this can be a question that you ask the patient, or if they're not able to provide that kind of information, you might ask somebody who knows them, like a family member or source of collateral information. Now, this is a source of uh, differential. So I want to spend just a minute here talking about the different illnesses within this continuum of schizophrenia. This is moderately testable. Yeah, I was going to say highly testable probably on shelves. So let's talk about timing because a lot of psychiatry comes down to timing. So less than one month, we would call an acute psychotic episode. So it's less than one month of psychotic symptoms. Exactly. Gotcha. Between one month and six months is what we'd call a schizophreniform disorder. This takes the form of schizophrenia, but has not gone on long enough to actually be schizophrenia. I like that. It's the form, but not the full-blown thing. Exactly. But after six months, after a half a year, this is schizophrenia. Gotcha. It could be schizophrenia. Right. But aren't there like other things on the differential, too? There are. So there's two personality disorders, which also have the SCHIZ, like skis prefix, which I found to be confusing. Yeah. So like what's up with like schizotypal personality disorder? So schizotypal personality disorder is the type of person with kind of like odd beliefs. Like maybe they're kind of like eccentric, but like outside are kind of normally eccentric. Now, this could eventually transition to a psychotic disorder, but it might just be this kind of this person's personality. Like they just have these kind of odd beliefs about like what their cats are and are not able to do. My cat's a superstar. I can't speak for all cats, but my cat does have ESP. Point taken. Schizoid personality disorder is is more about how people relate to other people. And specifically, I think of having little interest or a lack of interest or of engaging socially, intimately, romantically, or in friend type ways. Like, they just just not interesting. They're happy to spend the time by themselves, not even close friends, not even a few, just like very, it's a sort of isolative kind of personality. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like so isolative. We probably don't really see these people that much. Because they tend to be more to themselves. Okay, so how do we differentiate those in a clever sort of turn of phrase? Schizotypal personality disorder is not your typical pal, not your oh. typical typical pal schizotypal because they're kind of like we'll say odd now a schizoid personality disorder tends to avoid other people Hmm. some of those uh the personality disorders you just described james do kind of sound a little bit like schizophrenia though like how do you kind of differentiate them well i tend to think of them as without the same thought disorganization or behavioral disorganization so they're it, it tends to be less impairing in terms of their ability to mm-hmm. otherwise work. Kind of like go about their day-to-day business. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And I think a lot of these sort of exist in this continuum like of schizophrenia-type disorders. Okay. Let's talk about a few other things that can differentiate schizophrenia from other things. I'll ask people about their mood because I want to evaluate for mood disorders. There is such a thing as depression or a bipolar disorder with psychotic features. And if that were to be the case, the psychosis would only come into play when the mood is in play. So I call this depression with psychotic features because you are depressed and you have psychotic features. Like your the psychosis comes about as a result of the mood stuff. And without if the mood stuff was gone, there would be no psychosis. Exactly. 
That's opposed to having schizoaffective disorder, which is kind of like having schizophrenia, but then having these depressive or manic episodes layered on top of that. Oh, okay. So the key distinction is you could have psychosis even without mood changes. Schizo comes first. Affective comes layered on top. So there when you're asking questions, you're asking people when they're having psychosis, when they're having mood changes, and you're trying to overlap those in a sort of map of time. Right. And like the key distinction to really make the schizoaffective diagnosis is finding a period of time where they're not having a mood episode, but they're still having psychotic symptoms. Yes. Other questions I ask people are, are there any substances that you use to change your state of mind? And there I'm looking for a substance-induced psychosis. Symptoms here can be associated with either intoxication or withdrawal. It's also uh, less common, but possible to have psychosis as a result of a general medical condition. And so it's important to ask people about their health and what other symptoms they're experiencing in their body. Because, Lindsay, what are other sort of medical conditions that could masquerade a psychosis? There's really a lot. You can see perineoplastic disorders do it. You can see TBI and strokes potentially do it. You can see Wilson's disease have psychosis, porphyrias, syphilis, lupus. I mean, a lot. So just because somebody's psychotic does not mean they must have schizophrenia. Exactly. Okay. So we start with talking about Brian Wilson, who has auditory hallucinations, and he has talked about having mental illness, but he hasn't talked necessarily about having schizophrenia. And I think that highlights that there's lots of reasons why somebody can experience a psychotic symptom without having schizophrenia. Ellen Sachs has talked about having schizophrenia, and so I want to end with a quote from her. She says, If you're walking on a path thick with brambles and rocks... A path that abruptly twists and turns is easy to get lost or tired and discouraged. You might be tempted to give up entirely. But if a kind and patient person comes along and takes your hand and says, I see you're having a hard time. Here, follow me. I'll help you find your way. The path becomes manageable and the journey becomes less frightening. It's a nice quote. I feel like that is motivational for us to kind of be that helping hand, help people find their path. And at the same time, allow people to continue on their own path. Exactly. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Psych Essentials. This is episode three out of four in our series about the art of psychiatry. Next time, stay tuned. We're talking about anxiety. You can check out our website, leave us a review, and let us know what you'd like to hear more about in the future. Our website is www.psychessentials.org. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at Psych Essentials, and we're on Facebook, Psych Essentials. You can check us out on iTunes, where you can rate, comment, and share Psych Essentials. We'd love iTunes reviews. Our music is by Javier Suarez off his album Tumbling Dishes. There's always a link on our website. As usual, people, places, and details have been changed to protect confidentiality. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Till next time. Bye.